Good to be here this morning. Amen. I, I look forward to preaching every week and uh, I hope you're blessed by the word of God. I know you're blessed by the word of God. I hope I can be a blessing as well in how I preach the word of God. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the opportunity. Never feel worthy or deserving, but thankful for the opportunity. Amen. Aren't you thankful that you're a Christian this morning? I mean, you know, there's just something about peace and joy in your life and, and just to have the knowledge and assurance that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And if you don't have that, please see us afterwards because we want to help you with that. And Candy, how is he this morning? Are you babying him enough? Okay. <laughs> that reminds me, you heard about this couple, they went to the doctor's office. And they went in and uh, doctor met with the man and uh, examined him, sent him out, said, I'd like to talk to your wife. And his wife went in. <clears throat> he said to her, he's not going to have long to live unless you really, really pamper him. You're going to have to make sure he takes his pills. You're going to have to, you know, make sure he's taken care of in so many ways, proper diet, cooking, a lot of things involved in it. And he just gave her a long list of things and she went out and they got in the car and they're driving home. He said, what'd the doctor say? She said, he said, you're not gonna make it. <laughs> I hope he makes it, Candy. We're looking at Deuteronomy chapter eight today. <clears throat> Don't very often speak out of the law, but it's the inspired word of God. And so we certainly can glean a lot from it. And it's a great portion of scripture. We're going to look at verses 11 through 14 and 20. Actually, we'll read those verses, Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 14 and 20. But we're going to study more than that. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses wrote the Pentateuch. Now, the word pente means five. You've heard that word before, pentagon. It's a five-angled building. But Pentateuch is, is the first five books of <clears throat> the Old Testament. He wrote those, and Deuteronomy is the fifth one. Deuteronomy, the word actually means, uh, it actually means a second law. It was sort of a repeat of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Sort of a, they, they, they say it's an expansion of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Kind of clarifies some things. Those books uh, give information. Deuteronomy clarifies it. What a great book, because think of this. New Testament writers quote this book over 200 times. So a lot of times we like to just sort of ignore the Old Testament, yet it's the Word of God quoted over 200 times. And Jesus quotes it when he's fighting temptation. As the devil tempts him, he quotes the book of Deuteronomy. Stand and let's read together <clears throat> 11 through 14. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not <clears throat> keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou doest is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Look at verse 20. As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. And Jim Nation, ask the blessing, if you will, please. Father, 
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Prosperity has its downfalls. We know that human nature is to get complacent. The Israelites were supposed to praise the Lord or bless the Lord is what the text says. Same Hebrew word, praise and bless. They're supposed to bless the Lord after God had taken care of them, but they began to get complacent and start to think it was their great ingenuity and their great military ability and so forth uh, that brought them to this place as a, as a nation. Many nations flex their muscles on the stage of humanity and then vanish into obscurity. Think of all the nations that no longer exist today or are today weakened because they were arrogant and God brought them down. Look at Matthew chapter 25 for just a moment. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 25, and you can stay in Deuteronomy if you don't want to turn there, but Matthew 25, 31 and 32. When the Son of Man <clears throat> shall come in his glory, that word glory there is the word doxa, D-O-X-A, and we get our word doxology from that. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. It's another Greek word you're familiar with. This is a word ethnos. We get our word ethnic from it. You heard about ethnic cleansing and ethnic groups and so forth. <clears throat> it says here, he shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And of course, we know that nations are judged. We know that nations have been judged throughout history. Think of the, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, and Rome one time ruled the world. And, and not all of them fell militarily. Some just disintegrated. Some fell militarily. Uh, we know that Germany fell militarily, and, and so did Babylon, the Medes, the Persians, and the Greeks. Some just disintegrated. Rome just kind of, you know, went off the world stage. And, and so did England, actually, was a superpower at one time. God deals with nations. God judges nations. And one of the criteria in Genesis is, I'll bless them that bless Israel. As long as their country's good to Israel, that's a real plus for us. That's maybe one thing keeping us from uh, being destroyed. There are several warnings in Scripture. If we get like, uh, you know, if it gets like it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, then we know the Bible says God's going to judge. So there are judgments on the horizon. But we find here in verse 1, first of all, God hides his people. We see here that uh, he says they may live. They would possess a land full of giants and obstacles, yet they would survive because God would hide them. He'd protect them. Then in verse 2, he guides his people. Talks about him leading them all the way. For 40 years he led them. Even in the wilderness, God was there. He could have just left them to die, but he provided for them, which is the next two verses, 3 and 4. In verse 3, he provides manna. In verse 4, it says their clothing was durable, so their clothing wouldn't wear out. It would just last and last and last. So we see as we introduce this text that God guides, God hides, God guides, and God provides. Then he also chastens. That's something we can't overlook in verse 5 of our text. It says he chastens. Look what it says. <clears throat> Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. He's talking to Israel, the nation. Remember, Israel was chosen as a nation. We're chosen individually. They were chosen as a nation. They were his covenant people. 
And that basically means he was married to them. We'll look at that later. They were God's wife is what scripture teaches us. But notice back up to verse two. It says in verse two, the Bible says in eight, two, that they would have to, uh, they would, they would have to humble themselves. He would prove and humble them. Look at the middle of the verse. It says these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart whether thou wouldest keep his commandments. So we know that he was going to humble them and prove them because he wanted them to have an obedient heart. An obedient heart, mark the word heart, to keep his commandments. Then in verse 5, they would need a wise heart. In verses 5 and 6, a wise heart to fear his chastisement. A wise person fears God. Now, when we're walking with God and we're right with God, we have nothing to fear. But when we're in sin, that Greek word in the New Testament describes it as phobia. We ought to fear God because he still chastens his children. A lot of Christians, I would think that this community is filled with Christians that are out of God's will, that are out of church, that don't serve the Lord. They don't read their Bibles, they don't pray, and they wonder what the problem is. Listen, God chastens us and he wants us to have a wise heart, verses 5 and 6 to fear his chastisement. Verse 5, consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son. Verse 6, then therefore thou shalt keep thy commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. To fear him. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. He sees what you're doing. And I don't want to cause you to have uh, intense fear, but we have to recognize that God is aware of what's going on in our world. He's aware of all of it. Then we find here in verses 14 and 17, they'd end up, unfortunately, with a proud heart. A proud heart and take credit for his work. Look at verse 14. Then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord. Verse 17. And when thou say in thine heart, my power and my might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. I met Christian businessmen that talked about themselves over and over and on and on. And it gets annoying because you think, does he not realize that God had something to do with his success? Every one of us is successful because of God. And so we're thankful for the fact that we can be prosperous then he goes on, and we're not even to our text yet, but in verses 7 through 9, he describes the Holy Land. He talks about plenty of water and bread and, and all these other things. In verse 9, he mentions stones of iron. And, of course, that was fulfilled prophetically in the mines of Negev, which, where they mine copper and brass today. Verse 8, the land of wheat and barley and Plenty to eat, figs and fruit and all this stuff listed here. I mean God would take care of his people if his people would obey. Amen. That still applies to today. Do you know how many people quote Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 incorrectly? I've heard more people quote that verse. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And that sounds really good. It's a great verse. It's the inspired word of God. But what's the context? The context is those that give to missions. People overlook that part of it. Then Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Amen. And then all these things will be added unto you. Someone who walks in God's way and God's will, that person is always going to have his needs met. 
God's going to take care of him. And his eyes on the sparrow, certainly it's going to be on us. But I think about how our country's become so selfish. And so, you know, it's mine, it's mine. I'm in control. A lot of control freaks. In churches, we have control freaks. I got to be in control. Oh, if they lose control, oh man, it's, it's, it's trouble for the church. You know, and I don't know anyone here that's control freak. But if you are, back up. Step back, take your hands off, and let God have it. Amen? Because it all belong, belongs to God. But I was reading this story about Bob, Bob McFall, a 39-year-old bachelor suffering from a plastic anemia. He needed a bone marrow transplant. A search was conducted amongst his family, and they discovered that his first cousin was an ideal match to donate to Bob McFall so he could live. But when the first cousin was asked about donating, and it was explained to him that there'd be no harm to him whatsoever, he refused to give bone marrow. So Bob sued his first cousin, took him to court. The trial went on and on. Finally, a verdict was reached. And while the behavior of the first cousin was considered reprehensible, the court ruled that he could not be forced to give his bone marrow. Three weeks later, Bob McFall died. Tragic story. To think a simple gift of bone marrow that wouldn't have hurt him would have saved his cousin's life, but he wouldn't give. And that's an extreme example. But folks, we have folks today that do not care, do not give. And churches, unfortunately, are full of people who don't care and don't give and don't work and don't serve and don't love. Every time you come in that door, you can give something. And I'm not talking about money. But every time you come in, you can give a kind word, a word of encouragement, because people need encouragement. People are in need of a, a lift today, of an encouragement, not a facelift, but a lift of encouragement. We need that. We need those kind words. And you are capable of giving words. And, and that's the, the one kind of lip service you want to give. Amen. Uh, encourage one another. Say positive things. Don't come in with an attitude or I'm mad about this. Or that. Hey, we're going to be a forgiving church while I'm here. Amen. Uh, I want us to be a forgiving, loving church. That's what we need to do. Love each other, forgive each other, and go the extra mile to encourage one another. That's what we all need. If we start to do that, we will grow numerically, maybe, but we'll certainly grow spiritually. And that's the most important growth that we grow. Well, we get to verse 10. And it says, When thou hast eaten, thou art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord. Look over at Judges chapter 5 and verse 2. I tell you, I'm going to show you something each week so that you finally trust that when I say something that it's accurate. And you can look this up in your Strong's Concordance. But once again, we go to Judges 5.2. And the first four words are what? Praise ye the Lord. That's the same Hebrew word. Praise ye the Lord. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 10. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord. Same word here, translated praise. Do you praise the Lord today? Do you praise the Lord today? Praise the Lord that your cupboards aren't bare. And thank God your bodies aren't. I wouldn't want you in church. But thank God you have clothing today. And you had a way to get here today. Yesterday I was in a dollar store and I was getting something I really needed, a chocolate candy bar. Really, that's what I went in there for. I ended up getting two. One's already gone. And uh, 
There's a guy in there, he's lifting his shirt up and stuffing things down, you know, behind his pant line to steal. And I walked up to him. I didn't say anything, I just looked at him. He said, oh, sorry, and he pulled all those things out. And then he went up and paid for whatever, I guess. And, and I thought to myself, you know, these people have this happen all the time, then prices go up. But wouldn't it be great if that guy were a child of God and he would see how God could provide so he wouldn't have to steal? I don't remember who it was. I think it was Ironside, but I may be wrong, who was robbed one day. And he said, when someone asked him about it, he said, well, I'm so excited, I'm so thankful. They said, why? Because I wasn't the one doing the robbing. And I'm also safe. See, we lose perspective in our materialistic country. We lose focus. I think things have changed so much since I was a kid. It's kind of scary. But back to our text, he says here, praise the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that, was in, that is within me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know what the Hebrew word is? All of you know this Hebrew word. It's the word hallelujah. Hallelujah, or hallelujah, however you say it means, praise the Lord. We ought to praise the Lord for his goodness to us. So he says in verse 11, beware. Not beware of the dog. I see those signs a lot. Beware that when thou, that thou forget not the Lord thy God in the keeping of his commandments. And this really refers, if you want to know an explanation, it simply means instructions. His statutes or his judgments, second, are listed there. That has to do with a verdict or a sentence. His words used over 400 times in the Old Testament. And then finally, his statutes, which refer to customs and permanent binding ordinances. They're all different things. In fact, if you read Psalms 119, you'll find eight words used over and over in Psalms 119 referring to Scripture. All different Hebrew words. And in Psalm 119, 1 through 8, there are six English words describing Scripture. And you can read that later. So many words to describe Scripture because there's so many words that mean so many different things. But he says here that you don't forget. You don't stop obeying his word, his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, his ordinances, his precepts. There's so many more words. Don't stop obeying him. Beware, that's a dangerous thing to do. And Christians, unfortunately, can be miserable because they're not in obedience to God's word. Now we pick up in verse 14 our text. And our outline is like this today. I'm going to actually let you know what it is. First of all, God read his people, R-E-D-D. -D. You say, what in the world does that mean? It's an old English word. It means free to free. God freed his people. He read his people. I'm giving you that because it rhymes with the other words we're going to use, all right? That was a stretch, but it's true. He read his people. He freed them. What did he free them from? Well, he, he, Exodus chapter 13, verse 3 and 4 say that, or 3 and 14 say that he redeemed them from Egypt. So here they were in bondage. So physically, he redeemed Israel from slavery. And then Hosea 13, verse 14 says he redeemed them from the grave. Did you know that? When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he redeemed us from the power of the grave. We don't have to fear death. I fear dying a little bit because I know that that's going to be maybe a painful experience. But the moment you die, it's like falling asleep. In fact, so many times scripture refers to death for the believer as falling asleep. 
Did you know that? We shall not all sleep. Some are going to be raptured up. But if I were to die, I have nothing to fear. I would pass from death unto eternal life. Isn't that awesome? We don't have to fear that. And he said, the children of Israel were redeemed from the grave. They were redeemed from Egypt. Now, Egypt is a type of the world. Unfortunately, Israel wanted to go back to Egypt. Remember they complained and said, we had onions and garlic in Egypt. And we want to go back to Egypt where we had all that stuff freely. I mean, it wasn't free. They were slaves. They had to go out after they got done building an empire, had to go out and plant crops after work so they could have garlics. And nothing was free for the children of Israel. But they wanted to go back to the world. I wrote down here what society calls liberalism and progressivism, the Bible calls worldliness. What society calls abortion, society calls abortion a woman's right, the Bible calls it murder. Society calls alcoholism a disease, the Bible calls it drunkenness. Society calls homosexuality an alternative lifestyle. The Bible calls it unnatural, vile affections. And that's New Testament, Romans 1. Now, I hear people sometimes say, that's not in the New Testament. Oh, yes, it is. Society calls disorderly children self-expressive. The Bible calls them rebellious. Society calls foul language freedom of expression. The Bible calls it unseemly. Society calls pornography freedom of the press. The Bible calls it fornication. Egypt had nothing to offer Israel. The world has nothing to offer you. The world will use you for what they can get out of you and spit you out. They don't care about you. They want you to compromise to do what they do. They don't care anything about your soul. God does. Look at verse 15. Not only, did he read, read, not only did he read his people, he led his people. Who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness. Look what it says. Wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought. Hey, there were serpents and scorpions and scarcity of water. All those things in the wilderness. It was a desert land. I've been there to see where they wandered. You get to a tour and you get to cut across that desert. Miles and miles and miles of driving. And you think, how could people walk across this desert? Well, they went in circles. So it took them 40 years. Because they were in sin. They loved the world. They wanted to go back to the world and they complained. And notice here, it says here, where there was no water, but who brought the fourth water out of the rock of Flint. The word Flint could be granite or you know, other different rocks it could refer to. Who brought you water out of the rock. The fountains of living water. The fountains of living water. I'm going to read to you some verses. Revelation 7, 17 says this. And shall lead them into fountains of water. God's going to lead them into fountains of water. Revelation 21, verse 6 tells us the, this water is free. It says, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. So the fountains are free. They're also faithful. Psalm 36, 9 says, for with thee is the fountain of life, life. And then we have to turn together to Jeremiah chapter 2 because we find the fountains were forsaken. They were free, they were faithful, faithful, but they're forsaken. Look at Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. I'm sorry, chapter 2, not chapter 3. Verse 13. 
Isaiah, let's go to Jeremiah. Isaiah said this. I like what Isaiah says. <clears throat> I was going to quote, and I, I can't find where I wrote it down, but I wrote a little quote from Isaiah. I'll, I'll read it later. But J Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, listen to this. And I saw when for the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery. And I'm reading the wrong. Two, I said two and I was right. I'm going to look at three in a minute though. 2.13, forgive me. <clears throat> for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. Mark that. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Listen, a life without Christ has no foundation. It's like a cistern with a crack that won't hold water. He says, they've forsaken me, the living water. And, and we find 2.13. Then look at 17.13. Uh, 17.13. 17, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. They've forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. When Jesus came to, to the well, he said to the woman at the well, But whosoever drinketh of this water that I shall give him shall never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John 7, 7, 37 and 38. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture saith, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So they're in the middle of the desert. You know who that rock was? 1 Corinthians 10, 4 says that rock was Christ. And so the, the Lord himself supplied them with water. The Lord himself supplied them with water. Wow, God certainly fed, led and fed his people. He led them. Now verse 16, he fed them. Back to our text. Deuteronomy 8, 16. Said in verse 15, who led thee? Verse 16, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna? It's called heavenly bread. They got tired of it though. Can you imagine the first day it's sweet. The Bible tells us it was sweet. It was a type of our Lord as well because he is sweet. It was round, speaks of eternity, and, and he is eternal. And it was white, which speaks of purity, and he is pure. And all those things about manna. But he fed them. Exodus 16 says he fed them daily bread. They'd go out every day and gather enough bread for the day. And they were told, don't gather anymore. I'll give you more the next day. What a wonderful experience to taste that bread. I like to go to places, and I can't remember which one. I think it's Logan's and Ryan's, I think, used to have that bread with that sweet butter. And I'd put it on, butter's melted and running all over. I'm forcing it in my face, and I got it on my mouth. It's so good. They had every day sweet bread from heaven. Perfect bread, the best bread ever. And then they had quail when they complained about ready gave them quail. In fact, he gave them so much they got sick. He got tired of their complaining. But notice he led them and he fed them. He gave them their daily bread. I like Matthew 6, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. We've gotten to a point in our lives we don't have to pray for daily bread. We've got a cupboard full, a freezer full. We've got more than we need. And I believe that's a real problem in our world, in our country.
God, God fed and God led. I, I've, I've said this before. The wiles of the devil are more dangerous than his armies. The wiles of the devil are more dangerous than his armies. We have guardian angels. We don't have to worry about the devil's armies, but you know what we have to worry about? The ideas he puts in our head. The desires, he, he causes our flesh to crave things we're not supposed to have. Someone once said, of course, the, one, of his, one of his wiles is forgetfulness, to forget what God's done for you, amen? He says in verse 14, forget not the Lord. He says in verse 19, forget not the Lord. That's, that's one of his wiles. The biggest cause of forgetfulness is not senility or Alzheimer's, but self-sufficiency and materialism. Self-sufficiency and materialism is what causes us to forget God. You better pray that God doesn't break you down to nothing to get your attention and get you right with God. And I don't know any of your circumstances. It's one thing about being sort of new. I don't know what's going on in your life, but God does. And if you've forgotten God, if you're trying to live without God, and, and you don't have to pray for your daily bread. You've got so much stashed away, God can still take it away, can he? You remember the economy, I guess about 10 years ago, seven, eight years ago, I remember the economy tanked. And everyone was saying, what do we do about our 401ks? What do we do about our RAs? I mean, they're just losing money. Now we got the virus. Listen, God can bring our country to its knees. He can bring us to the Great Depression again. We could lose it all. He could bring us to war and cause many of our people to lose their lives. And he can affect your family in any of those ways. Be sure not to forget him. God fed his people back in our text. He fed his people. I think of all the different ways we've gotten rid of God in our society. One of those is humanism. It's nothing new. It goes way back in scripture. When Satan says, you'll be like God, you'll have the answers in you. You'll know good and evil yourself if you eat of this tree. And today we're taught that we can depend on our wisdom and our inner man. I was looking at this Lakota prayer. That's why I have this bag up here. <clears throat> and I, my son's in ministry to the Lakota people. Teach me how to trust my heart. Well, that's interesting. Scripture says our heart is desperately wicked. My mind, which is reprobate, reprobate and depraved sometimes. My intuition, my inner knowing, the senses of my body. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. But the Lakota prayer says, help me to trust the senses of my body, of blessings of my spirit. Teach me to trust these things that I might enter my sacred space and love beyond my fear and thus walk in balance with the passing of each glorious sun. What a lot of nonsense. There's nothing good in us. You are rotten. But by the grace of God, you're rotten to the core. The difference is when you get saved, he comes into that core. Amen. And he takes up residence. And now you have someone in you, a person in you, guiding you and loving you and encouraging you. Don't trust your old nature. I love Acts 17, 28. In him we have our being. And I love 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Our sufficiency is in Christ. Years ago, I had a lady come for counsel and she said, Pastor, I just don't feel good about myself. And you've heard about people who go out and get so much stuff done. They 
get all the plastic surgeries, the tummy tucks, the facelift and all that. And one person got to heaven and God wouldn't let her in. And he said, I said, why? And he said, I didn't recognize you. It's, it's not a true story, obviously. <laughs> he knows her heart. But the fact of the matter is, we're so into all this. I met two people yesterday. I mean, talk about physically fit. They almost looked as good as I do. I'm kidding. They, they were really trim and muscular. And I mean, young couple in their 30s. And I looked at them and thought, oh, I wish I could go back to that age and have those abs. I have abs are just hidden a little bit. <laughs> you know, you, you, you wish you could, but, but you know what? That's not going to make them feel better about themselves. Neither is a facelift. Neither is becoming rich. You know where your sufficiency comes from? A relationship with Jesus. Our sufficiencies in whom? Christ. You can try all those things and they won't make you feel good about yourself. Only repenting of your sins and being saved. And then after that daily confession, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. What's that word? Catheter. Gets the yuck out. That's the Greek word. He's going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you confess your sin as a believer, all of a sudden you feel sufficient. You feel good about yourself. You feel a lot better. You know why? Because your relationship with your eternal Holy Spirit, with God in you or Christ in you is now right. And that's way better than what a facelift will give you because eventually things will start sagging again. I mean, I look at my knees the other day and I thought, my knees are sagging a little bit. I used to have good strong legs as a ball player and now they're sagging. Those kneecaps are drooping down in there and my chin's sagging. You look down, everything's sagging. And you can get all the surgeries you want. But your walk with the Lord Jesus is what's going to give you the fulfillment in your life that you need. And it's your prayer time that matters. Praying daily, praying. I had trials so difficult I could never share them with anyone else outside of my children. And it was going out to my front porch and establishing the best prayer life I've ever had a few years back. And that's made a difference in how I feel about myself in my situation. God fed his people. He always provides. Then look at verses 18 and 19. God wed his people. God wed his people. But now remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant with you. Verse 19, and if, it be, if it's, and it shall be, if so, do all forget the Lord, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods and serve them. The covenant. And to break that covenant, you'd serve another God. That's no different than our relationship with the Lord today. Did you know you're the bride of Christ? That's what the Bible says. He's already sought you out, already proposed, already made you part of his life, saved you, he indwells in you. But the Bible teaches one day he's going to come back and get his bride. But what does James 4, 4 says? Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. And I paraphrase the end part of that. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Brother Dan, I, I, how am I cheating? I'm not cheating on my wife. No, you're cheating on the groom-to-be. How? Love in the world. 
That's what it says in James 4.4. 4. And here he says to Israel, my covenant, what you went out and you loved other gods. You're cheating on God. Isaiah 54 says, thy maker is thy husband. Thy maker is thy husband. Look at Jeremiah today. Jeremiah chapter 3. And we were there before in chapter 2, going back there to chapter 3. And I started to read this verse a while ago. Jeremiah chapter 3. And you want to mark this, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8. Look what it says. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery. Israel committed adultery. And I had put her away and given her a, a bill of divorce. God was so angry with Israel breaking the covenant, he gave him a bill of divorce. Now, Israel's still going to be saved. 144,000 can be saved, and, and Jews individually can be saved. Any Jew that trusts Jesus like you is saved. And they're part of the bride of Christ. So God gives them an opportunity to be married to God again one day. But right now, what does he say? You committed adultery. I gave you a bill of divorce. Look at verse 14. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. I mean, think of that. Think of that. 31, 32. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke. Although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. That's 32, 34. I mean, clearly, God was disgusted with Israel. But guess what? He's disgusted with America today. We've allowed too many things to go on. We've avoided and ignored the laws that are in the books that say certain things are wrong. We ignore those laws now. We look the other way. I thought it was fascinating. About seven years ago, the two most liberal states, California and Massachusetts, voted uh, against gay marriage. Now, why then is it accepted all over our country and the media propagates it all the time and talks about how wonderful it is. I love my, my, my nephew, Chris Sly, was an American Idol finalist, so I like some of those shows sometimes. And my wife's first cousin, Terry Fader, won the first year of America's Got Talent. My family's, my wife's side is stacked with talent. Jet, uh, uh, finest Fader, excuse me, sang for Billy Graham for many years. You see the classics, he's on there with his guitar. All kinds of talent, and I have none. But anyway. I watch those shows sometimes, and quite often a guy will get on there, I overcame adversity, I came out of the closet. And they talk about how they were once gay, and you know, now they're happily gay, and they came, and, I, and, and here, here's, here's my thinking on it. I don't ever hear anybody straight get up there and say, you know, I finally came out and said I was straight, and I love my wife. I'd love to hear that. And I'm not picking on them any more than anyone else. We, we have mentioned them this morning. I'm not mentioning them for political reasons. I'm saying our country's in trouble because one of the signs of the times are we'll become like Sodom and Gomorrah. And guess what? We're accepting that now as the norm. We're accepting that. And that's the Bible. And, and Israel did the same thing. They were committing adultery right here. It's in the text. And they were doing all kinds of things. I have a little pamphlet on how, uh, you know, the 
evil Israelites would try to deceive the other sects because they were perverted sexually and some of the things they've done. And we tend to think that this is something new. Obviously, it's not. It goes all the way back to Lot and Sodom. But now our country, a country based and built supposedly on the Word of God, is accepting things like that. And it bothers me. It has nothing to do with political parties. It has to do with the Bible. Don't go out of here and preach politics. Preach Jesus. Amen. Too many Christians are wrapped up into political arguments. I hear Christians all the time arguing with people at work. Oh, I got in this argument with a guy at work the other day. He's a liberal. I'm like, wait a minute. That's not our calling. Jesus will make the change in people. You witness for Jesus and you show love to people. That's what you do. That's your calling. You're never told to win an argument. Sometimes I get into apologetic arguments with people. And I don't get fiery or angry, but I share things apologetically speaking to try to show them how evolution has failed and there's design and creation. I get into all this stuff, the DNA stuff, and I explain things to them. And then I start to think, you know, God, I may win this argument, but if I don't be careful, if I'm not careful, I could lose this person. So then I stop and say, let me just say this. No matter what you think, Jesus loves you. And he died on the cross for your sins. And he's the answer to all your problems. If you learn to establish a relationship with him. Notice verse 20, as he destroyed others, he told Israel, I've destroyed back in Deuteronomy 8, as the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish. And boy, Israel didn't listen. In 722, Assyria came in. We're about to close. The Assyrians came in and defeated the northern kingdom. Ten tribes went down into defeat. In 136 years, 586, do the math, Babylon came in and defeated the southern kingdom, Judah and, 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 Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes. You know why? Because they loved other gods. Because they loved the world. They loved immorality. They loved all the things the Bible warned them not to love, and they loved it, and they went down. America is what it is because we have filled the Great Commission. That's why America is what it is today, because of the Great Commission. The gospel's been preached since our country started. Our churches are dying for the same reason our country's dying. We're not telling people about Jesus. We're compromising. We're wanting to be accepted by the world. I want to ask you some questions as we close. Have you forgotten that God saved you? Beware lest thou forget. Have you forgotten? He said, have you forgotten his provision for you when he got you the job you prayed for? Have you forgotten his healing, his answered prayer? Have you forgotten God today? God's still on the throne. He still knows and sees everything. And the great thing is he still cares about me and he still cares about you. Isn't that awesome? He cares enough to chasten you. He cares that much. As a father who loves a child, God cares about you and he's going to chasten you if you don't live right. Live right. That's just the way to go. Men, just say to your wife, we're going to go to church faithfully. We're going to read our Bibles. We're going to witness to people. That's what we're going to do in our house. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We need to return to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Your word is always timely. 
And I don't know, Lord, why you laid this on my heart, but I know you did. And I know it must apply to people and people that are here, maybe people who will listen. Lord, I just pray that people will be obedient to the word. Be doers and not hearers. Lord, if there's anybody here who's not a Christian, they'll come forward and say, I want to be saved. If there's anybody here who just needs to come as a family and pray for guidance and direction. Or just to say, thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Maybe to commit to more witnessing, more evangelism. Bless our time now in Jesus' name.